Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Um, all right. <laughs> so everybody, I, I think I pretty much told everybody that's here. Well, maybe not everybody, but um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I do know. Hydrochloric acid um, burns skin. So, all right. There's a story behind that. Um, I promise you I was a responsible individual. I was not washing my hands with it. Um, I've got valid justification. Um, but uh, nonetheless, um, for, yeah, so anyway. So that or I'm going to start MMA, uh, one or the other. I was walking through the airport, and I'm pretty sure that's what, it, well, I don't know, maybe. Um, it's good to be back. It's really good to be back. Um, you know, there's, there's just nothing like worshiping God with his family. I mean, honestly, like, it, it's, I, I, the vacation was great. It was awesome. It was, it was wonderful. It was great hanging out with my kids and my wife. And, um, but, like, not being able to be here, and, and I, I missed it, you know? I missed worshiping. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd read occasionally, and, hi. <laughs> um, you know, but, but it's just, it's different. And, you know, when, when we are singing these words, you know, like, and we're studying scripture together, like, there's, there's import to that. We are, we are the church, right? We are the body of Christ. And, and if you ever do a study going through scripture, like, this isn't something that we can just kind of choose to do or choose not to do. And, and don't get me wrong, like, this isn't a, this isn't a sales pitch for not going on a summer vacation because I just got off one, right? So I can say this, right? Like, like, we should go, and, and, but we should long for this. Um, last week, Spencer talked about, uh, it was either last week or two weeks ago, uh, where he talked about kind of how do we know if we have the Holy Spirit? How do we know if we're saved? And I think that's a great way to kind of have that reassurance. Do you, do you miss worshiping God? Do you, do you feel distanced from God at times and long to draw closer to him? And that doesn't mean he wants the distance, Right? It doesn't mean you want the distance, but if you recognize it, just like in any relationship, you're like, man, I miss him. I miss this. I miss being in his presence. So, um, so with that, we are going to dive in. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit. We're going to start in 15 formally, uh, but I'm going to back up and hit uh, verse 10, and then we're going to kind of get a running start and jump forward. But um, All right, so before I get in, let me, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. And uh, we thank you for the privilege to be able to gather together and worship you. And we do want to see your glory, Father. And you promise that your Holy Spirit will fill us. You promise that you will be here with us. And uh, we just pray, Father, that this morning that you would change our hearts, that you would show us a little bit more of you Draw us close to you, Father. Remind us of what you've done. And I pray that if there's something I'm going to say, Father, that you don't want me to, I pray that you would just cause me to forget it. And uh, if there's anything that you want me to say that I wasn't planning, I pray that you would uh, allow that to to be spoken this morning and that um, regardless that you would do the work in our hearts. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so if you remember in Galatians, right, we're, we're 15 years, Paul is writing this to the Galatian church, right? We're 15 years past Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, 
right? And so what has happened is that people have gone out and they're celebrating and they're excited because they have heard the gospel, right? They have, they have either witnessed this miraculous rise from the grave personally, right? The, the Bible says that 500 people saw Jesus risen. Like he walked around for 40 days. I think that's, we don't get, that doesn't get a lot of airtime, but it's like he was cruising around Jerusalem for 40 days, right? People saw him after he had been crucified, and people had seen the disciples and, and the followers of Christ, and, and they were celebrating. They were celebrating, you guys, because it's the gospel. It's good news. They were excited, right? Like, like when we get up here and we're talking and we're singing, like, this is amazing news. This is no different then than it is for us now. And so I'll just, I'll just ask, like, for me, like, Sometimes I'm not, I don't feel excited. Like it's, it's very, like I, I, I go towards the theological side. It's very puzzle building. And like for me, it's, it's, it's mathematics. And it's like, okay, one plus one. And you know, like I, I, I put it together in my mind. But the reality is, is that this is a celebration. That God has rescued us. And this is what they went to go do. And so what Paul is writing them about is they have, forgotten, right? Spencer talked about, he, he starts off, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, right? Like they have been bewitched. They have, they have somehow lost this celebration. And you know what caused them to lose the celebration is religion. That's why they stopped celebrating because it became something that God never intended it to be. It became a checklist. It became religion. It became rules. And that's why the title of this is Religion Ruins Everything, because in fact, it does. It really does. It completely, it doesn't, it, I wouldn't even say it waters down the gospel. It pushes the gospel aside. You can't have, and Spencer and BJ talked about this over and over, right? You can't have the gospel plus a little bit of works. You can't have the gospel plus a little bit of something. You can't have the promises of God and your performance. Doesn't work that way. It's one or the other. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to levy a three-pronged attack on the Galatians. And he's going to say, this is why rules, this is why performance, this is why the law is not ever going to give you life. Now, Paul's talking about the law in the sense of the law, right? The Torah, the, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the plethora of laws that the Pharisees had built and, and put in, the system, right? All of this put together was the law. And so when Paul is saying this, he's talking about this law. Now, I don't, I don't think many of us are tempted to go follow maybe a lot of those laws, right? But I got to ask, why not? Why don't you? Right? And this is, and this is what Spencer was talking about, what BJ was talking about, right? As, as Paul is continuing through this letter to the Galatians, he's making an argument and he's saying, the law is not where you will find 
life. It's the spirit that gives life, not the law. And so what we're going to do this morning is up until this point, Paul has been talking about grace and Jesus and and what he has done for us. And this morning what I'm going to do is we're going to kind of look on the other side of that coin. We're going to look at the law. Paul's going to look at the law and he's going to go, let's look at the law. Let's look at Let's look at what performance, what rules, what this moral code, us, the, you guys get what I'm saying, right? Like, this, like our checklist of doing good things and our checklist of not doing bad things. That is what Paul is going to set up this, this morning and he's going to destroy it by one after another argument. All right, so the first one. And this is going to be, like I said, we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to start in Galatians 3, verse 10. But the first one is, he says, the law is a curse. It's a curse. Okay, so look at, read uh, 3, verse 10. It says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. A curse. Why, why does he say this? So he goes, so first, the law isn't going to work because y- you have to follow all of the law. And I think we can all say, well, I don't. I never could. I never will. Tomorrow I won't. All right? There's, there's a problem here. And this is what he's saying. He goes, you can't do it. it, it let me give you an example. It would be like going to the store, right? And I, like, when I was a kid, I, well, I stole a couple things when I was a kid, all right? So I remember I stole a Snickers bar when I was really young from, like, Thrifty. I think it was called Thrifty, right? I think so. I got away with that one. <laughs> I, my kids are going to love this one. I got caught stealing uh, a carton of cigarettes <laughs> under my starter jacket <laughs> from Price Club, which is Costco, effectively, and uh, so, we, you know, we thought we were cool, and we were getting away with it, and, you know, this, literally, like, the second I stepped out the door, I felt the hand on my shoulder. Um, my parents didn't find out about that one either, somehow, by the grace of God. <laughs> um, but, so it would be like, let's say, like, I actually did it, right? And I, and, I, and I walk out, and I've got them, and the manager comes out, and they go, you stole this. And I go, oh, I, I'm sorry, let me pay for them. Does that work? right? No, no, I'll pay for them. Well, okay, you can pay for them, but you still stole them, right? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't fix the stealing. And somehow in our minds, we've got this so convoluted, like, that's how we live. We live in this where we are constantly stealing, and maybe, well, I mean, I, I, we're not constantly stealing. We're constantly breaking laws, right? And we're doing these, but then we think that we can kind of do a little good, we can repair it a little bit, right? I can be disrespectful to my wife or my kids, but then I can take them out to dinner and, and kind of mull things over. Isn't that how we kind of relate to God at times? Where we think that we can kind of, we've got these scales. And as long as our scales are good, maybe we just need to deposit a little bit more over here. Maybe, maybe we need to try really hard for the next week or so because I feel like my scale is getting a little bit towards the wrong side. And I'd hate to die right now. 
I, I, we, we laugh at these things, but, but I really, like these are the things that are mulling around deep in our hearts that we don't really put the words to very often. And so this is what Paul says. He goes, don't you understand that you are a lawbreaker? You're a lawbreaker. So you're great as long as you can keep all the laws. So you're not great and it's not gonna work. He goes, in fact, you're under a curse. That's the sad part about this. I mean, think about what, what a, a curse is, right? A curse is like, like you can't get out of it, right? You're in this like loop, right? I, I think back to like, like whatever silly movies where, where they curse people or whatever, right? And, you know, people are under some spell or a curse or whatever, right? Like, like they can't get out of it. That's what the law is. That's what performance that's what religion is. It's a curse. You're stuck. And you will always be trying to justify yourself, to appease a God. Just like, like Warner just said, right? God cannot love you anymore, and he cannot love you any less. And so what are we trying to do when we're trying to appease God? So first, Paul says, listen, you don't want to live by the law. You don't want to live by performance because it is a curse. The second one, he says that the law is it's just late. It, it didn't come on time. It, it, in God's scheme of, of creating and planning our salvation, it's not first. It's not the priority. And he goes back. And so look, at, look with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, to give a human example, brothers... Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 400 years, 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So if you guys remember, we went through the promises, the covenants, right? And we started with the Adamic covenant, and then we, we talked about the Noahic covenant, right? And, and we went through all of those things, and one of those was the Abrahamic covenant. So it, you can mark it in the side of your Bibles if you want, but I'm reading from Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. This is, this is where God promises to Abraham. He says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Talking about Ishmael. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness righteousness. Abraham in that moment believed God. He didn't do anything. He just believed that what God said was true. He believed that God had this plan for him, something in the future, and he trusted that that was what, that what God said he was going to do, he was going to do. And in that moment, because of that belief, Abraham was declared righteous. He was in a right standing right relationship with God. And that's what we all want, right? Like that's what, that's, 
That's the burden in our hearts is that we want to be reconciled with our creator. And what I talked about at the beginning, right, where we feel distanced from him and we, we spend time away and then, you know, we, we want, we long to be with him. And so Abraham in this moment was declared to be in a right relationship with God. Why? Because he followed the law? No, the law didn't even exist. Wouldn't exist for 430 more years. And yet Abraham was declared righteous. And so the law comes too late. It's like, it can't be life-giving because Abraham had life without the law. Okay, the next one, the law is weak. All right, so look at uh, verse 19. Paul says, why why then the law? If, it was, if it's a curse, and if it's uh, late, why, why does it even exist? Paul says it was added because of transgressions. If you've got that, underline that because of transgressions. Until, and we'll, we'll come back to it, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So he says, it was added because of transgressions until, until the offspring. He's talking about Christ here. Until Christ, was, until Christ came, right? Christ was born. Christ saved us, died, buried, resurrected, right? Until all of that, that's where the law, it was, it was kind of a temporary thing. That's, he goes, Listen, it, it, it came too late, and it's weak. It, it's not even lasting. It's not even intended to last. And then what does he say at the end of there? That it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And then verse 20. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. He goes, God and the angels delivered this to Moses, who delivered this to you. There's like an intermediary, right, with the, with the commandments. And Stephen goes through the same thing in his speech. Uh, I think it's in Acts 7, right? And so what, what he's saying is like, there's just, there's people in between. God went straight to Abraham and gave him the promise. No intermediary. And so he goes, the law is a curse. It's late. It's weak. It's not what you want. It's not going to give you life. Stop pursuing the law, stop trying to do the right things. And if you look back in verse 10, if you've got your Bibles open, it actually says, for all who rely on works of the law, rely, trust in. Instead of trusting in God, you're trusting in your works, right? He says, this is why the law isn't gonna work. So then we're, we're left with a big question here in the 21st century. Why did the law ever exist then? That's a good question. Probably one that a lot of us maybe would get stumbled on when, when somebody asks us, well, then what's the point of the Old Testament laws? Why do they have all these things? And Paul's going to roll right into that. So here's the first one. The law reveals our captivity. Okay? Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. Sorry, actually, uh, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen, but verse 21 first. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? 
He says, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. If you've got your Bibles open, I want you to circle that word imprisoned and captive. We were captive by the law. What did we read in verse 19? It says, because, it was added because of transgressions, because of our sins, because of our sinful nature, the law imprisoned us. How did it do that? Here, here's, what's, here's what's crazy about this, and, and I think I've never heard it said this way, and I was, as I was preparing for this, I was, um, the law is not meant to decrease sin. It's actually meant to increase it or increase awareness of it. And this is what Paul says. And it's, it's, it's super clear. If you go to Romans chapter 7, Verse 7. Listen to what Paul says. This is, this is later on, he's writing to the Romans. It says, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Underline that, sinful beyond measure. Dude, so what Paul is saying here is, right? He says, I was once alive apart from the law. You see, he was living without the law. This is the world, right? The world goes, I'm free. Free to do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want. That is freedom. But what the law does is it gives us this measuring stick. This, no, no, this is the characteristics of God. This is, what, this is who God is. This is what holiness is. And it's only when we see that that we go, I'm a slave to sin. I'm imprisoned. The law imprisons us. It, reveal, it opens our eyes. We think that we're just jumping around playing racquetball, and then we, 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 our eyes are open, and we realize we're in an eight-by-eight cell playing racquetball, and, and we, we think we're free, and we can go wherever we want in our cell, but we're still in our cell. 
And the law opens our eyes to that, and it arouses in us this, how am I going to be rescued from this? How am I going to get out of here? That's our job. That's why we are here, you guys. That is why God created the church, is to go out and tell the world, you're a captive to sin. I'm a captive to sin. The only difference between the church and those outside the church is that I have trust in Christ and he's rescued me from my prison. There's no difference in our performance necessarily, especially not when we are saved, right? There's no difference. It is not performance-based. The law's primary purpose is to increase our awareness of sin. Why does God do this? Why does God want us to know that we're enslaved to sin? So that we can hope and long and trust in him alone. Because there's nothing we can do to get out of our cell. No amount of things that we can do inside of that cell are going to do anything for us. Now, the second part is that the law uh, arouses sin in us. If you back up in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, it says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. I, I, I had a hard time with this one for a while. Because what, what does Paul say? What did I just read, right? Like, that I didn't know what covetousness was until the law said don't covet, and then I wanted to covet. <laughs> and I go, I don't know that I feel like that. I really struggled with that as I was preparing this. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't read. Like, I'm like, that sounds very childish. That's like what kids do. Don't touch that. Right? I don't feel I'm an adult. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't do these things. And I really struggled with that. And I, and I was like, and I'm trying to think of an example. And then I came across this, Romans 7, 5. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. While we are separated from God, right? This is when we're living in the flesh, not in the spirit. That's why I couldn't figure it out. Because I got the Holy Spirit, <laughs> That's probably why it doesn't make sense to you guys, because you have the Holy Spirit. Because you've been reconciled to God. You've been rescued and saved. And so, and so when you hear a commandment or you hear something or somebody says something to you and you're like, ugh, I didn't realize I was sinning in that way, it leads to repentance. That's good. That's what it should do, right? And we will be repenting until the day we die, Right? I mean, all, we're going to sin, we're going to repent over and over and over again. And maybe it's, maybe it's a brother or sister in the church. Maybe it's me reading something up here. Maybe it's something that you hear. Maybe it's a worship song or something on the radio or you're reading scripture or you're praying. And all of a sudden you realize, ooh, I'd never seen that part of me before. It's good. It's good. That's the Holy Spirit doing work. That should be a reassurance in you. Right? Because if you're in the flesh, guess what that causes you to do? Disobey. Disobey. Romans 8, 7 says that we are, by nature, hostile to God. Hostile. 
He says, do this. I say, no. <laughs> That's hostility. So piggybacking off of what Spencer talked about last week, how do you know if you're saved? I would point to this. What do you do when you're confronted with your sin? Do you say, I don't care? I hope not. Do you say, oh no, I don't want to be doing that. God, help me, rescue me from that. That's good. That's good. That's life-giving because that is a life in the spirit, not a life in the flesh. See, that's such beautiful, right? And so the law arouses sin in the unsaved. All of us, right? Like we, we recognize this, we see this, and when the world sees that, they go, what, what, what do I do then? And that's where the church rolls in and goes, repent. That's what you should do. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you why it matters. See, that's the problem, right? The whole world knows who Jesus is. Right? When people say, have you heard of Jesus? Right? Like, nobody says that anymore. I don't, I mean, I guess if you're like really far. But the problem is they don't know, they don't really understand what Jesus did. Right? They understand what happened, the, the historical story of it. But to understand that they're, that they're captivated by sin and that they want to disobey and that Christ is the only one who can change their hearts and reconcile them to God, well, then that changes everything. All right, and then the last purpose of the law, the law reflects God's holiness. Does anybody know who Dick Fosbury is? I randomly heard this story like, no? Summer Olympics, okay? We're getting ready to get into it. The high jump, okay? Go, go read the story. It's super cool. This, this dude was like an engineering student at, I think, Stanford or something like that. And uh, not super athletic, I don't think. Maybe gangly and tall, probably, if he was doing the high jump. And um, everybody used to do the high jump head first. Did you guys know this? Go, go Google this. It's really quite funny watching them. They'll run and they'll, like, swing their legs over, and it's like this little scissor thing. Until 1968. In 1968... Dick Fosbury understands center of mass because he's an engineering student. And he's like, I can actually keep my center of mass. I don't have to be as strong and I can curve my back. If I go head first, I'm going to do And he does it and he wins the gold. And now that's the, you will never see anybody doing it any other way. Okay, so what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? When we see the law, when we hear rules, I think we just see them as like, they're just, they're just things that we got to jump over. And maybe we can jump over some of them easy enough, but some of them were like, all right, this one's going to be tough. I'm having a hard time making this one. And maybe for you, like you can make this one, but I can't, but I can make this one and you can. And it's just this series of hurdles and high jumps. And we're just living our life trying to jump these things. That's not the point of the law. It's not that I struggle with this and, and I need to get better at that, and, uh, you know, but I'm good over here. But I think that's what we, it's like, that, that's a performance-based thought, right? That's religion. What the law does is it goes, your high jump is 1,000 feet high. <laughs> this is God's holiness, this is perfection. This is what you need to be able to clear to be considered righteous in my eyes. 
That's, that's your jump. Okay, now, how much are you going to train? <laughs> how much engineering work are you going to do to try to figure out how to do this? It's hopeless. And that's the point. That's why God gave us his law. That's why he gives us. That's why objective right and wrong in our conscience, right? Like, we are constantly below the bar. The only thing that can take us over that is Jesus Christ. The only thing that we can do to become righteous in God's eyes is to put on Christ's righteousness, to take his righteousness. He's the one that can carry us over the jump. That's it. It's the only way. That's the purpose of the law, to, to show us how holy God is. I'll give you an example here. Let's read this one. And you can just... I debate whether I would say this or not, but um, just raise your hand when, you, when I get to something that, uh, um, oh man, I totally put the wrong verse up there. Oh no. Hang on one second. Maybe I'm not going to be reading it. <laughs> I know. this hang on hang on we got time right is it super awkward for you guys it's a little awkward for me (laughs) I hate awkward you guys know me oh man All right. All right, somebody help, help me out here. Where am I looking? Uh, oh, here you go. No, that's not it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the thing prior to the fruit of the Spirit. Where is it? Ephesians? Galatians, why am I? You guys are great. Five, five nine, go, oh my goodness. Okay, thank you. Thank you, great job. All right. Yeah, good job. I just want to see if you guys knew it. All right, so now, so now I've been embarrassed. Okay, ready? <laughs> I'm going to ask a question at the end of this, so get ready. Get ready to raise your hand. Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. Anybody? Has anybody done these? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've done them. And if you don't put your hand up, you're a liar. (laughs) And then what does it say? Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh. Have a good one, guys. (laughs) Right? Like, what, what do we do with that? It's in the flesh. This is why we need Christ to take us over the high jump. Because it's only his righteousness that gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And oh, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit, that's not like, I gotta, I'm, I'm not really good at this one. Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, patience, nah, nah. You know, kindness, yeah, maybe. Right? That's not the point of those things. Those aren't on checklist either. That's what the Spirit creates in you. It is all Him. 
It is not us at all. And Paul just levies an attack one after another. The law is not going to get it. The performance is not going to do it. You cannot be good enough. It is only through Christ and his righteousness that we are saved. And then look at what it says in Galatians 3, 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Next week, we're going we're to go off of that, and Paul goes off of that. A guardian. It, it's literally like being a foster parent. Anybody? <laughs> right? That's, that's the idea. It's like the law was there to, to hold us, to prepare us, to till the soil, to soften our hearts so that when Christ came on the scene, we needed him. That's the point of the law. And so in our minds, when we get this feeling that we need to do more good things and do less bad things, no, it's Christ that has already done that for us. Let me pray.